he stops at a well to get a drink. A Samaritan woman comes up to him, and they start talking, and he reveals to her who he is, that he is the Messiah. And he says this to her, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Jesus is our wellspring. He is our source of eternal life. He offers to us a relationship that can sustain us. This morning, I want you to picture a well. Take a moment and get an image or a picture of a well in your mind. This well is going to represent Jesus. And it's going to represent the wellspring of life that he offers to us. We'll be coming back to this image of the well throughout this morning. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be up here, uh, to share what I feel you have called me to share. So I ask that the words that I speak are of you, and that they fall upon hearts and ears that are open and listening. That any words that are not of you fall to the wayside. Amen. So we're going to be looking at Luke 11, 37 through 41. So we're talking about legalism this morning, and it's our second weekend in the Acceptable Addictions 2 series. And there's actually a student last weekend who found out when we were doing a part two, uh, he turned to his dad and said, don't they know that the sequels are never good as the originals? (laughs) Now, I'm not quite sure if that was before or after he found out I was preaching in this series, But either way, you can see why I love working with this age group. So let's read Luke 11, 37 through 41. I'm going to be reading out of the NLT. As Jesus was speaking, one of the Pharisees invited him home for a meal. So he went in and took his place at the table. His host was amazed to see that he sat down to eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony required by Jewish custom. Then the Lord said to him, You Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and wickedness. Fools, didn't God make the inside as well as the outside? So clean the inside by giving gifts to the poor, and you will be clean all over. Jesus lived among a culture that found its identity in rules and the way that they kept rules. They had rules upon rules upon rules simply to not break rules. In fact, they had 613 they had to follow. That's a long list of do's and don'ts. So when Jesus came to inaugurate his kingdom, a kingdom that was based on two principles, loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself, these kingdoms clashed. And as you can see, he called the Pharisees out for being more concerned about the outside, about the rules, than he did about their hearts. Unfortunately, legalism didn't go away with the Pharisees. So I want to define legalism. Legalism is anything additional that we may place around coming to Jesus other than by grace and through faith. And being addicted to it 
makes life more about rules than it does relationships. For the most part, it can be boiled down into two different forms. It can be boiled down to a checklist of don'ts. Let's think of this as ways that we judge others upon their actions. And legalism as a form of a checklist of do's. Let's think of this as things that we require of ourselves to do in order to remain close to God. Both of which I want to touch on this morning. So legalism that contains a checklist of don'ts is a list that we use to judge others based on what we observe their behaviors, actions, and appearance to be. And the key word here is observe. We take these rules that we have created, most of them finding their foundations in our personal preference, and make them deciding factors in judging others on whether or not they can come to the well on whether or not they can come to Jesus. Timothy Keller says this, anytime you add to God's grace, you actually subtract from it. And some of the things that we add are just silly. Since when did we make it a specific rule that we had a specific dress code when we worship God inside the church? We don't enforce or expect a certain dress code when we worship God outside the church. So why do we do it here? Why do we judge others based on what they look like when they come here? And maybe I just have a specific beef with this one because I got true Minnesotan blood. So anytime the temperature goes above 45 degrees, I start to overheat. And it's a lot warmer than 45 degrees up here. But I'd much rather be wearing shorts and a t-shirt right now. Much rather. But how many people would have made a quick judgment as soon as they saw me up here in shorts and a t-shirt? How many of you would not have taken me as seriously? If we do that over shorts, if we do that over things that are as silly as shorts and a t-shirt, how much more do we judge others with that list of don'ts when it comes to things like language or our thoughts on alcohol or politics? You still have that image of the well in your head? I want us to start to build a fence around that well. I was in Montana a few weeks ago with the high school students, and one of the jobs that we were assigned to was building a fence. And I was the guy who didn't get to drive the bobcat of the auger. Not bitter about that. Uh, I was the one who uh, got to haul the fence posts from a big pile along its about quarter-mile stretch. Halfway through, I realized there was an ATV at my disposal, so I started using that. But... Building a fence is difficult. There's a lot of work. So that well, let's pick up some, some posts together. And those posts are going to be checklist of don'ts. And let's just start building the fence around this well. A fence of don'ts is something that prevents access to the well for other people. Rules that we oppose on people or judgments we make based on what we observe their behavior, appearance, and decisions to be. So let's switch to the list of do's. Now the flip side of legalism is that we can fall into this trap as we strive towards allowing our hearts to be transformed. Jesus called out those Pharisees and said, listen, you're so concerned about the outside, what I want you to be concerned about is in the inside. We can fall into legalism when we focus on the inside as well. The idea of maintaining a checklist that can be 
keeping us into relationship with God can be driven from a lot of different places. We can build this checklist of do's out of a sense of hurry. I don't have a lot of time. So if I just complete this checklist, and this checklist can, can be made up of a lot of good things, like prayer, coming to church, reading your Bible, being a part of a small group, discipling or being discipled. But it can be done out of a sense of hurry. I just got to get these things done, and I'm good. It can be driven by a sense of fear. I have to make sure I do these things so that God loves me. I have to do these things so that I don't stray away. These are, can be all good things. And in fact, they're created in order to help us get to the well, to spend time at the well. But they are never supposed to replace the well. When we put more focus on that list, we take our focus off of who Jesus is. So we, we started building that fence. We have the well. We put up some posts of don'ts. Well, let's put up some fence posts of that list of do's. It's a checklist. It's a fence to help us stay inside the well. The problem with these fences is that it, we don't really care about the well as much as we care about the fence. Making sure we keep people out or we have a standard of how you can come in. Or helping us stay in, right? We could be running laps around the, the fence, right? And we're still good because we're close to the well. But here's the reality. When we have the well, we don't need a fence. When we have the well, we don't need a fence. So let's get rid of these fences. And if there... Building a fence is as difficult as it was for me, hauling those posts, then I'm guessing taking them down, there's some work there as well. We get rid of fences by building relationships. Building relationships allows us to get to know the heart of a person. It allows us to see the orientation to the well. And building relationships allow the power of God to be invited in to transform lives. So let's look at building relationships that allow us to know the heart. When we look at those fence posts of do's, building a relationship allows us to move past trying to please God or making sure that you are doing all the right things. And you see the heart of a father who deeply loves you, a father who wants to pour into a relationship with you, and offer himself to you as a sustaining wellspring of life. And that checklist of don'ts, when you get to know the heart of a person, it allows you to move past making judgments based on what you observe, their behavior, appearance, and decisions to be, and start seeing them as God sees them. Beloved children. And although you may not like or agree everything they do or say, and that's okay, you build that relationship. And not only does that help them get to the well, because you're inviting them there with you, but you go to the well as well. 
Now, if I was wearing shorts up here, you'd notice that I have two tattoos, one on my left ankle and one on my left calf. Now, I'm not condoning or condemning them. Some people love them, some people hate them, some people think differently of them. It, it's all good. Funny story, my own grandmother, I, the first time I got a tattoo and she saw it, I was sitting in my kitchen at my parents' house, and she walks by the kitchen sink, and she grabs a rag, and she asks me if I need some soap to wipe off the dirt off my ankle. Okay? I get it. Okay? It's for some people. It's not for others. But we should never let tattoos become legalistic and break relationship. So last summer, I was here in the hallway, and Glenn Ferdine stopped me. Now, if you don't know Glenn, he's a, he's a couple years older than I am, maybe about 40. And he and his wife, Lois, are one of those foundational pillars here at Why Is That a Free? He asked me what the tattoo on my calf meant. It's a Greek phrase that says dunamis mu, which means my strength or my power. And it's taken straight from 2 Corinthians 12, 9, where Paul is in the prime of his ministry and he receives a thorn in his side. And this is what the scripture says. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said to me, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. So Glenn kind of looks at me and goes, okay, so what does that mean for you then? And I was able to share with him in that moment that I was born with bilateral clubfoot. That my feet were so severely deformed that my family was told that I would never walk. How the top orthopedic surgeon in the state delayed his retirement to consult on my case because it was the worst club feet he had seen in his 30 years. How I had dozens of surgeries, first that started as cosmetic, but where those surgeries were met with the healing hand of God. And I had seen the combination of modern medicine and God's healing nature to bring me to a spot where I can walk. Now, it's not without its challenges. Uh, my left leg, the reason that I have a tattoo that says my power is because my left leg is smaller than my right. It's about four inches smaller in circumference, about three shoe sizes smaller. Let me tell you, every time I go buy shoes, people think I'm playing a joke on them because I'll tell them I need a left 10 and a right 13. And at the time, two centimeters shorter. What I saw as a physical weakness, I saw a way that God's power could be displayed. Now, I don't know what Glenn thinks of tattoos, and nor does it really matter. Because that day in the hallway, he took advantage of an opportunity to build a relationship to get to know my heart. It's about relationship, not rules. The second thing that relationships do is that they allow us to see the orientation of the person to the well. Now, when we look at those fence posts that are the checklist of do's, building a relationship allows us to see the orientation of God's heart to us. Right? When we make a checklist of do's in order to try to stay close to God, when we take those down, when we build a relationship with him, we see that he is wildly in love with us. That he wants to empower us through his Holy Spirit. That he cares about our hearts. Not about cleaning the outside of the dish and cup. Now if you build a fence 
that sense out of a checklist of don'ts. Building a relationship allows you to see where that person is and what direction they are moving in association to the well. Oftentimes we forget growth. True and authentic growth takes time. And we make a quick judgment on someone. We make that judgment out of context. We have no idea if that person is moving away or towards the well. Being in a relationship allows us to see that over time. C.S. Lewis said, the situation in the actual world is much more complicated than that. The world doesn't consist of 100% Christians and 100% non-Christians. There are people, a great many of them, who are slowly ceasing to be Christians, but who still call themselves by that name. There are other people who are slowly becoming Christians, though they do not yet call themselves so. There are people who do not accept the full Christian doctrine about Christ, but who are so strongly attracted by him that they are his in a much deeper sense than they themselves understand. And when we choose relationship over rules, we can see that. And finally, building relationships allow the power of God to be invited in to transform people's lives. If you are a person who has those checklists of do's, building a relationship positions you yourself in front of God for his full glory and power to be released in your life. And those checklists of don'ts. Building a relationship allows you to be used to bless other people and to be blessed by other people. This past school year, our, our theme on Sunday nights was authentic stories. Each Sunday night, there was someone that would come in, they would share their story of what God was doing in their lives. And after one of the very first Sunday nights, a student named Kelly approached me. And she asked if there was any possibility that she could share her story on a Sunday night. And I'm pretty sure I cut her off before she could even finish her sentence because I just had this just deep down in my heart that I had to say yes and say it without hesitation, say it immediately and, and figure out the rest of the details later. So I told her to go home, type up her story, and that we would meet to go over it. And when we met to go over it, I came out to find that Kelly had gone through a tough few years. She had gone through a very difficult few years. She shared that she was in a spot in her relationship with the Lord, that she was asking a lot of tough questions, yet very important questions in the process of making her faith her own. And she wanted to share how God met her in that and equip and empower students, her peers, to be okay in asking those questions as well. So we decided that the best spot for her story was during our fall retreat as the first speaker on that Friday night session. And if you know anything about youth retreats or camps, the very first night, the very first session, can set the tone for the entire time that you're there. That weekend we were talking about identity. So honestly, who better than Kelly to share what the Lord was doing in her and how she was finding her identity in, in God. 
as Kelly spoke, something happened. Something happened in that room that I can't do justice with, just mere words. There was a freedom that was ushered into that room. Her story, her sharing her story, ushered freedom into that room and into the hearts of the students present in a way that I have never seen before. There's been a lot going on in the high school ministry this year. A lot of change, a lot of growth, and a lot of students finding the freedom that comes from owning their faith. As I reflect upon this past year, I look at that night that Kelly shared her story and see the momentum that God brought into our group through her sharing. She didn't boil her faith down to a checklist of do's. She pushed into that relationship. It required time, effort, sacrifice. But that relationship allowed, God, allowed God's power to be displayed in our group. And now back to Glenn. Yes, there is a sequel. I personally think that is better than the original. A couple of years ago, I was sitting in the foot and ankle reconstruction department of Mayo Clinic for what I thought was just going to be a simple routine checkup. What I came to find out that day is that I had developed severe arthritis in my subtalar joints and was looking at some pretty extensive surgeries in the quite near future. Fusions, replacements, amputations, all those options were on the table. I was overwhelmed. I didn't realize that there was more to be done or that more could have been done. So that was a few months before I moved up here. Kind of put that on the back burner. Tried just not to let it consume my thoughts. I got involved with a a Bible study. I'm a part of that Tuesday morning study that often gets mentioned up here. And this last fall, actually, there was just a morning that I was really struggling with it. I was in a lot of pain. I was feeling really hindered from the things that I was wanting to do. And Kevin Meyer looked at me and said, have you ever gone in for a time of prayer and anointing for healing? And I hadn't, at least not in my adult life. So we talked about what that would look like. We started seeking, I started seeking the Lord about timing. I, I was really black and white with it. I wanted an exact outcome. I was thinking, Lord, I know you can heal in amazing ways. I got, I got a plate. I got screws. I got staples. Like, I want those out. Like, I want them to, like, just appear in my hand. Like, I know you can do it. So that's the, but that's my only outcome. Like, it's that or failure. So I had to take some time and allow the Lord to work in my heart. And what I found was that it was during that week of prayer and fasting we did on, from January 1st to January 10th, leading up to January 11th, when Tim Addington came and spoke. So I met with Beth Moorhead, who you saw up here earlier, the pastor of counseling. And we decided that the best date that would work was January 6th. So we started talking logistics. We started talking, who is she going to contact to be there? Who do I need to contact to be there? And as we're kind of wrapping up details, she looks at me and she says, there's just someone who I really feel that I specifically need to ask to be there. And it was Glenn Ferdine. 
So that started me on a process of really starting to seek the Lord and what he was going to do and what he wanted to do. And in the weeks leading up to January 6th, I went to just a normal appointment with my myofascial release therapist. It's a very specific type of massage therapy that's been helping me greatly with my leg and with my pain. They were also planning on being there on the 6th. So we started talking about it at the appointment. Started talking about my pretty black and white expectations of what I wanted to have happen and what it would look like to allow the Lord to really own that. So as we were working on my leg, we started praying for clarity and direction. For when everyone gathers on the 6th and for my heart to receive whatever the Lord Lord had to give that night. And when we started to do that, a very vivid, unfamiliar, unforgettable sensation started to run from my hip through my foot. Something I had never felt before. And if I were to be honest, what it felt like is it felt like my leg was growing. Like 20 feet, 30 feet. It just kept going and going and going. I had never experienced this before. So we get done praying and asking the Lord to to show what he was really wanting for me to walk into on the 6th. And my therapist was like, something was really happening weird with your leg. Describe what you were feeling. So I told her what I just told you guys. She looked at me and she said, get up and walk. So I did. The first thing that I noticed is that well, with a two-centimeter leg length discrepancy, I would limp pretty dramatically. When I started walking, I wasn't limping. I thought to myself, maybe I'm just walking differently. So I sat down on the floor, put my back up against the wall, and stretched my feet out. They were the same length. They were the same length. When I put my shoes back on, so I had to, I had to buy shoes once I found the right sizes, they'd have to cut off the bottoms, they'd have to put a lift on the sole and then glue it back together so that I would walk even. When I put my shoes on, I started limping the other way. (laughs) Which was, in a worldly sense, pretty frustrating because I had just bought a bunch of new shoes to have less put on. (laughs) So I thought, you know what? We're going into this time of prayer and anointing as a time of thanksgiving. So what does this all have to do with Glenn? Great question. Most kids that are born with club feet go through a series of non-invasive castings. However, from the get-go, the doctor said I would never walk and that any types of surgeries would be cosmetic to help my feet look normal. So when I was two weeks old, my parents were faced with a decision to clip my Achilles tendon. And with my leg growing a few weeks prior, my Achilles tendon was freaking out a little bit. It was already too short. And it caused me quite a few issues, more than it normally did. And on that night of January 6th, as we all gathered to pray, Glenn was there. And Glenn had no idea of what my parents would have ever gone through. He had no idea 
the decisions that they were faced with when I was two weeks old to start that treatment. No idea everything that they'd gone through with having a kid born with messed up feet. And Glenn didn't specifically pray over me, but he prayed over my parents, over all the decisions that they had to make, over everything that they had gone through. And in that moment, that moment he prayed for my parents, the same thing that happened when my leg grew just a few weeks prior happened in my Achilles tendon. And when I stood up and I moved my foot around, I was able to move it with a greater range of motion than I have ever been able to do in my life. All through God's using the power of prayer. Through the power of relationship over rules. Honoring Glenn's choice that day in the hallway when he saw me and chose to ask me about my tattoo. When he chose relationship over rules. Choosing relationships over rules can radically change who we are and radically change the lives of others. Relationships point to the well. They point to Jesus. I challenge you to look at where you could be building fences, where you could be putting rules over relationships, where you are missing the heart, where you are missing the orientation, and where you're missing out on the chances for God's transforming power to invade not only your life, but the lives of others.